Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. My name's Jack Donnelly and on today's show we'll be taking a look back at what could be a record-breaking weekend in the Premier League, discussing the first massive fixture of the season in the Scottish Premiership and cover the biggest stories from the continent including transfers and the biggest results. As always, I'm joined by Struan Garvey and we're pleased to have both members of Extra Time, Sean McGill and Cameron Wanstall joining us as well. As always, we'll start things off with this week's big question and this one draws its inspiration from Saturday night's announcement of Gareth Bale's return to Tottenham Hotspur on a one-year loan deal. The question is, which former player would you love for your club to re-sign at the current moment in time? Struan, despite having too many clubs to pick from here, I'll come to you first. Can the player be retired? I mean... For, for, from a Man United point of view, I'd, I'd have to say Ronaldo. He's, he's my favourite player of all time. I also think he's the best of all time. But I, I just any any opportunity for him to ever come back, I think, would be the the go-to. Although, at the same time, I, I would feel a bit sorry for him having to come into the current United situation. I don't even think he would be able to. But if, if it was a retirement, someone like Roy Keane, I think, is who is this United team is screaming out for. Just someone to come in, grab it by the scruff of the neck, take the armband and just basically get the best out of everybody on the pitch. I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine Ronaldo coming into United just now and trying to uh, put off Jesse Lingard, trying to get him to Millie Rock for an Instagram video on his first day in the, in uh, back at Melwood. Oh, no, that's <laughs> Liverpool, isn't it, Melwood? That's Carrington, though, United. Uh, he could be off to Spurs, could be at Spurs by that point, no? He, he, could, he could be off <laughs> to Spurs. That's the gossip, if you're to believe. £30 million for... Well, was that the reported fee, or was it less than that? It was it was quoted at thirty million, which if if you have ever doubt the English tax exists, <laughs> Thiago went for twenty five million and is one year older than Lingard. If Jesse Lingard is a thirty million pound player, I'm worth at least ten million in today's market, and I don't even play football. So I mean, that that kind of says it all. Uh, Sean, how about yourself? I mean, Kelly at the moment, I, I'd imagine they'd be screaming out for Bachman to come back in between the sticks as as one as one player in mind. But is there someone else that you've got on your mind just now? Yeah, I probably would have said that at the start of the season, but the goalkeeping situation hasn't been too bad. Uh, but I've said plenty of times that we really struggle for creativity, someone in midfield who can pick a nice pass. So, I mean, it'd be any excuse anyway, but I'd go with Alexei Nemenko, who's probably oh, of course. the best player I've ever seen play in a, a Kilmarnock jersey. And just if he was in that in that team to sort of cut teams open and uh, provide some, some guile, then I think we would be kicking up the table a lot more than we currently are. I know he 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 would definitely bring something in. It would it would mean you're not having to rely on a forty seven year old Chris Burke to uh, act exactly. as your source of creativity from the midfield. He did come back for Chris Boyd's testimonial last season, and he was genuinely round. Like I've never seen a more overweight. I mean, he was never the slimmest when he was when he was playing professionally, but um, I might need to shed a few pounds if he has to come back. I mean, he still employed Chris Boyd up to that point, and. It's true, it's true. They're on the same team in that friendly and I wouldn't have wanted to have, have weighed those two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's good to see come on, don't discriminate. If, if A man of any size could make it in that team, realistically. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Cameron, how about yourself? Um, I think retired has to be really sketchy, right? It just has to be. Like, he is hearts kind of personified. Um, I think maybe a player that's still playing... Callum Patterson, maybe. I think he is just the best player out yeah. there that's still playing, that's ever played for us. Um, he offers just absolutely everything. Loved him at Hearts, even though he just got shunted in every position on the pitch because we had like ten players to pick from. Um, but yeah, Rudy Scatchel, come on, he is he is iconic in Scottish football. Got to bring him back. That's a good shout there. To be fair, yeah. Callum Patterson as well. He's he's one of those players you could just bring him in and tell him play centre-back one week, play him yeah. up front the other week, centre-mid the other week, he would, he would just do a job regardless. Yeah. He strikes me as the kind of guy that would rather be in goals. Like, he just wants to jump about in goals and like training sessions and that, but he has to play up front. Has to according, play to, mid, you know? according to Wikipedia, his position is utility player. There we go. <laughs> sums him up. <laughs> sums if they're not even giving him an assigned position, that's when you know. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't think anyone would want to come back to air. That, that's uh, been a success. I mean, Ferguson. <laughs> bring Ferguson back as manager, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would take Shanklin back, take uh, Alan Forrest back, take any, basically anybody that's left for a better club, which is just about everyone. Yeah. Uh, for a Chelsea point of view, it's much the same. There's a fairly long list to pick from. I think current moment in time, considering uh, we've not had a right winger for the last two games because Ziyech has been injured and 
Frank just doesn't seem to like Hudson Adoy. I, w- I would love Salah to leave, leave at Liverpool and come back to come back home, come back home to Chelsea. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he, he's, he scored for Chelsea before he scored for Liverpool. That's all I'm saying. He was part of that six nil uh, uh, win over Arsenal back in 2014. So that that that's when he really get get kick started in the Premier League. That's what the real. I'll watch it at the legal gnome for. You keep telling yourself that, Jack. I will. <laughs> I, 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 need, I need to this weekend, Cameron, just let me. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, with that done, we are going to move on and we always start our show on this side of the border and we've got plenty to discuss from the Scottish Premiership this weekend. We'll start things off at Easter Road where Hibernian became the first team to score against Rangers this season, drawing 2 all with the Glasgow side, leaving title rival Celtic just one point behind with the game in hand. Stuart and a Hibs fan yourself, you'll not be too unhappy with this result, I take it? No, I'm very pleased with that result. Unfortunately, I wasn't actually able to watch much of the games on Sunday anywhere across the country, but I, th- I think it's a, a very strong result for Hibs, and I think mentality-wise it's fantastic. Just, just even to score twice against Rangers, I think it's a phenomenal result all round. I mean, what, what, what did you make of it? I mean, you didn't really see any of the games, but it, it was a case of... the. Uh, Hibs and Rangers were both kind of undone. Uh, Rangers were the first team to score against the house from open play. But I think watching it, a draw, probably the fair res- fairest result, uh, considering the level of performances. Were, were you hoping? Were you hopeful for a draw, or did you think that Rangers would end up taking all three points? Well, leading up to the game, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind. You know, this Rangers team—they are—they are phenomenal. They're probably the best Rangers team we've seen in the last five, six, seven, maybe even the last decade potentially all round and although this is probably the best Hibs team currently in about 20 years I was still <laughs> a bit shaky going into it I, 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 it was really unfortunate because I was away and I didn't even notice that Hibs had gone 1-0 up I only came back to see it was 1-0 and then when Rangers went 2-1 up I kind of just thought oh it's going to be all, it's going to be Aberdeen again this season but then Chris Doig managed to score a goal which was probably offside as Chris mm-hmm. Boyd will tell you but yeah I thought well, that was a really good result all round. I think both teams probably could have had another. I think Marciano made a great double save yeah. and Nisbet missed a fairly good chance. But there was, there was some controversy after the final whistle as well, which is probably going to take a lot of the attention away from the game. I do agree with that. But before we get on to that, you said it yourself, uh, when it went 2-2, you didn't really know what was going to happen. And what Graham said in our group chat was as soon as it hit 2-2 on the 75th minute, he knew it was going to finish that way. Because Rangers found themselves 2-1 up shortly after the break. And Ianis Hadji was playing some of the best football uh, he has done in a Rangers shirt so far, having an excellent game. And a lot of fans were left bemused at Gerrard's decision to take off the Romanian midfielder with 50 minutes left to play, especially considering how influential he'd been throughout. Sean, what did you make of this decision? I mean, could you see why Gerrard would want to bring on another striker in Jermaine Defoe to push for that late winner? Or should he have stuck with Hadji when he'd been playing so well and been pulling that many strings in the midfield? I don't understand the thought process of going for another striker while taking off the biggest creative outlet to get into those strikers. So if you're going to do it, then take off one of the more defensive-minded def- midfielders like Kamara or Davis mm-hmm. or Arfield, who obviously left the pitch later on. But it just didn't make much sense to me. And Gerard's done that a lot of times when they've been chasing the result. He's chucked on Defoe uh, to, to, to partner Morelos, and I don't think it's ever worked for Rangers. Um, so it was a strange decision. And it's interesting what Graham says, because I think when Rangers went 2-1 up, that was kind of a sign that Rangers' mentality had got better. It was sort of, they've overcame the odds, they were a goal down, and they've got it back to 2-1, and they looked to be cruising. And then the fact that they conceded another, and he said he knew that they wouldn't get another one, sort of maybe, we've been thinking Rangers' mentality looks a bit better, they look a bit stronger defensively, but it could be another sign that they might still struggle with that aspect of the game. And I think a lot of the time when it comes down to that late game uh, in Scottish football between the two old firm, old firm clubs, it does become that mo- much more of a mental battle. So if we're already seeing seen that kind of strain on uh, Rangers now, it might not bode well for them come the end of the season. I know that's a lot to, lot to claim this early on, but mm-hmm. just going by what you're saying there, Sean, it does kind of give me that uh, sense that th- things might not be as easy as what Rangers fans have been thinking they have been after nine games without conceding a goal. Uh, this game itself, it had a number of big calls throughout. Uh, a lot of people believing that Paul Hanlon was lucky to play the full 90 minutes after seemingly intentionally elbowing Hadji in the face. Uh, but the biggest antagonist of the day, from a Rangers standpoint anyway, Struan mentioned him already, was Ryan Porteous. After the game, Alfredo Morelos and James Tavernier refused to acknowledge the young defender, while Gerard has some choice words for the Hibs man. 
Cameron, what did you make of this clash, especially since it seemed to spill over into the uh, post-match press conferences as well? Uh, it's funny, isn't it? It's oh, what it Scottish football is all about. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. Um, like I think, Sean, you may say, I don't know if it was you say, Sean, but like, yeah, just a random laddie from Dalkeith just rumbling the Champions League winner and everything, the Liverpool captain. It's superb. Um, I don't really get it. I don't think there was much wrong. What was it? Pochus was booked for again? Yeah, elbowed Morelos. Clark and Morelos, didn't he? Morelos kind of swiped out. Yeah, he kind of kicked out on the floor. Yeah, I, fair enough. Like even the handling one, the like, Yerson Energy, I, I didn't think that was intentional. Did all you guys think that was intentional? The it's a yellow for me. It's yeah, a yellow, but I don't think it was yellow. intentional. Yellow, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he's yellow, like meant right, to do like, that much harm with but, it. Yeah, exactly. Porches as well. That's just part of it. Like, that's part of the game. Like getting in people's heads and stuff. So I think it's brilliant. I love that sort of stuff. Um, and I think him rumbling Stephen Gerrard as much as I love Stephen Gerrard. Um, quite a funny moment to be honest. And I think Gerrard's comments afterwards. Just why, why, why even say that? You just know you're going to get caught out. You know you're going to get laughed at. There's no need to pick a fight with a what is it, twenty year old centre back for Hibs. There's no need to do it. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm all for the power, but quite a stupid thing to do from Stephen Gerrard. Looking at that as well, obviously Scotland aren't uh, blessed with centre back options at the moment, and yeah. I don't think Ryan Portridge is quite at that level yet. But the fact that he seems to have this sort of that arrogance in a way that a good player should have. Mm-hmm. Um, especially that young age to sort of stand up to players like Morelos and to to be comfortable in a verbal exchange with Steven Gerrard is maybe a good sign for Scotland that we need that sort of confidence mm-hmm. in the back. There seems to be a lot of doubt in, a, in defensive situations. So I think he's improved massively this season. Like we've said, they've not. This is the first game they've conceded a goal from open play. I think his passing's got a lot better this season. So it's a very good um, prospect from a Scotland perspective. I think from the Scotland perspective as well. I don't really know anyone else in the current squad or the latest squad that has that same level of arrogance. I mean, you would think mm-hmm. somebody like Andy Robertson would be the first, the first to react to something on the pitch, but for Scotland, we hardly hear a thing from him as a captain. Yeah. Like we all, yeah. we all know uh, our thoughts on what Robert, Robo's performances for Scotland have been like. But I, I don't know. Maybe inject that bit more character into a Scotland team would maybe kind of almost up the intensity from this from a Scotland side, which under Clark in recent games has looked just very bleak. I think the word would be uh and I know Sean Sean might not agree with me and might not uh, thank me for that comment about Steve Clark, but <laughs> dunno, maybe maybe Portis could bring a bit of attitude to a Scotland side that's sorely lacking it. Uh, I think the the best part about it was uh Portis knew exactly what he was doing. Uh it, his comments to Tavernier was saying he was he was a bad loser, I think, or and then Gerard reacted to that, saying that's rich considering he gets sent off in the three 0 win last year. It's it's very Charlie Nicholas glasses, isn't it? It's very much <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what well, I think my favorite. Was... It was a weird sort of half smirk when Gerard said that. It was like, why are you getting like? It just it seemed properly rattled. And you're uh, the manager of the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, oh yeah, like he's a Champions League winner, like one of the most iconic mm, players yeah. in English football. And you you are really thinking about this young centre half. It's quite worrying. It's like that wee smart. He's definitely just like congratulated himself in his head. It's like that was a good one, Stevie. That, that was the last thing. Well done. I've done him there. I, th- I think my favourite thing from it, from the whole uh, post match. Uh, it was James Delaney tweeted out uh, the Jack Ross press conference saying, asked, when asked whether he thought Paul Hanlon should have been sent off, laughed, then simply said, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it just provided some, some excellent moments that we'll probably talk about and our reference back to, especially with Gerard's press conferences in weeks to come. Uh, after this uh, specific result, Celtic will have been rubbing their hands together in anticipation of both their game in hand and the first Old Firm of the season with the 17th of October drawing ever closer. Celtic themselves ran out 3-2 winners over Livingston, but once again they had to overcome a real challenge from their opposition. Sean, what did you make of this one? Was this another case of Celtic's individual player quality assuring them of a win opposed to a team cohesion? Um. I, because they went to go behind, I think it might seem a lot more worrying than it perhaps was for Celtic. Um, and it was just the odd defensive mistake and then a pretty dodgy handball decision, I would say, um, for the Christopher Ayer uh, penalty decision. But I think, uh, like obviously Celtic have a much better quality. I think some of the goals are really, really good. Um, I really like that Ayeti finish. Um so I wouldn't be too worried. I do think they need to sort of these defensive mistakes, but that'll come as sort of Duffy 
and um, and Iron and Julian wasn't playing in this game. No. Obviously, as they get to know each other, um, and as the sort of the system gets nailed down again with the new players, then I think they'll be all right. I mean, you mentioned a Yeti there. He he's been on fire really for Celtic. I mean, it, yep. it does baffle me that Lennon did choose to play those two games without without strikers. But that's uh, I believe four four Premier League games and f- our Premiership games rather. Sorry. And uh, four Premiership goals, so yep. a goal a game, and with Edward kind of seemingly in and out of the team more frequently than usual, I think Ayeti's been a decent bit of business for them if they are just wanting to keep those goals coming in Edward's absence. It's a fantastic finish against Livingston as well from a J. Aye, definitely. Yeah. Came on the Serrano goal was great as well, Julian Serrano, um, mm-hmm. who I still love that the fact that he's um, on loan from Monaco and Livingston. I just think that's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, great finish with him, and it will probably uh, finish second in the goal of the month poll. So that'll be great. Behind uh, <laughs> behind Shanklin's. <laughs> no, no, actually, no. That won't, uh, that won't finish. It'll be a tap in from. Edward or something. It'll, it'll be it'll be Morelos's goal against Hibs. That that'll win goal of the month when it, when it was just a touch and finish and the oh. Actually, no, the, the one the one the one two because uh, Ali, Ali McCoy's <laughs> famous one two, the, the most incredible one two he ever. I thought seen. you guys were harsh. Like, I thought like, it, <laughs> the fact that he just killed it with that one touch straight back to Darfield. I I did enjoy it, but you guys. No, it was good. It, it was good. Don't get me wrong, but the way <laughs> the way he was describing it on commentary it made it seem like it was Iniesta with a sheer bit of brilliance <laughs> no one else could ever come up with. That's just Ali McCoy story. Just his <laughs> love of football just comes pouring out through his love of uh, football he should it's not his love his, his, I think he does it quite a lot to be fair like, I remember uh, he did the Merseyside Derby on Amazon last year and he just seemed to be having he just has a tremendous time he's just having a brilliant time and I, it makes me enjoy the football more as well <laughs> my favourite thing that he did was during the 2018 World Cup and then just halfway through the game he just started talking about he'd gone on to a tour in a museum in Russia just <laughs> in the middle it's of a Russian history. Yep, just what he's been doing his time, enjoying his time in Russia. I think oh. it's fantastic. Ali's just loving life, isn't he? Ah, <laughs> he just, he just loves guy. talking about life and football. That's, it's on that's... Sky and BT. Not many can do that. Not many can do that. You're right. He's he's worth it though. He's and Prime. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd pay top dollar. Alan McCoy, you just love to hear him. Oh, t- <laughs> telly every week, please, Ali. There we go. Uh, Cameron, moving on to Livingston, they only have one win from eight this season and currently sit bottom of the Premiership on five points. Considering that some of us here at Energy Sport had them touted for a top six or thereabouts finish uh, come the end of the season, what do they really need to do to get themselves out of this unfavourable situation? I'm not really sure. I don't even think they can take much away from this game either because even though they came close, I think they were just flattered by a bit of luck. Like The penalty, like Sean said, it was a dodgy decision. Even if it was, it was still just a lucky decision. And the Serrano goal, as much as, yeah, it was a great goal, keeper maybe could have tapped over. Um, so I don't think they can take much away from this game. I think they've just got to go back to what they were doing before. I think they've still got the same manager and haven't they? It's still Gary Holt at the team. So go back to what they were doing before. I don't know why it's not clicking for them. I don't know if it's the personnel or if they are trying to shift tactics. But whatever it is, go back to basics. Do what they were doing the last two seasons and hopefully we'll see them rise up a little bit. Because even though they're a bit like Hamilton in that sense, maybe shouldn't be in the league they're still just a little bit different they're mm. throwback to the older era and I think most fans quite like that I, I, I just want to see Alan Forrest and Nicky Devlin do well that, that that's yeah. all I want from this Livingston team yeah. and Scott Tiffany he was at us for a wee bit last season so <laughs> they are shifting between a 3 and a 4 a lot this season um, mm. it was a back 3 on Saturday against Celtic and the week before against Ackies it was a 4 uh, sorry just, just to Sorry, I'm, I'm, doing kind of, um, like is, I'm saying I'm saying that it is difficult because they have been robbed of their personnel like each year. They do just lose their best players. I do feel a bit bad for that's probably remember it's easy to say like, oh just go back to what you were doing when they had like Halkett, Declan Gallagher have all moved on to bigger and better things like Hearts in the Championship. Um <laughs> and it is difficult to say that, but like you're saying, they're switching a lot and that's never a good thing. Just yeah. pick one formation to go to. We've seen Celtic are finally starting to play more so just one formation and it's starting to work for them, so Hopefully they do that and hopefully they stay up this season, from my personal opinion anyway. Uh, Struan, it's Hibs next week for Celtic with a win for Neil Lennon's boys, surely sending a message across Glasgow to their neighbours. How do you see that one panning out? I mean, could we see another game like Sunday's or have you got less hope in this one? 
Uh, I, I, th- I think I'd maybe even have more hope now. I think that Rangers result is really going to spur on the players. I mean, there's always the, the classic joke of that Hibs are just mini Celtic and they'll just give them a free <laughs> win anyway to give them 10 in a row. But I, th- I think the players will really be up for this as well. I th- Murphy's going to be able to play as well, which I think I is, just, uh-huh. is just going to boost the team a lot more. And I think I think Borchis just in his mind now, I think he'll be... He'll just be so confident. He'll be, you know, he'll be really just that arrogance as we've spoken about. I think that'll be better. I think I think the whole team, you know, it's they're the first team to score past uh, Rangers. You know, it's always if you, you know, if you if you show him, you can bleed. He's no longer a god type situation. And I think a lot of the players will kind of have a much better mentality going into this game now. And I think as we've seen a few times, Celtic have been vulnerable to the odd mistake here or there. So I think I think Hibs will try and capitalise on that. I think it'll say a lot about Hibs' season if they do manage to get a result out of both yeah. uh, back-to-back. That would say a lot about them going forward this year. Uh, we'll move on to a different game here and we'll talk about a fairly shocking result to us. Uh, Motherwell travelled up to Pataudry on Sunday and defeated Aberdeen by three goals to nil and a result that not many of us were expecting. Cameron, surely this was the exact result that Motherwell needed uh, to truly get their season back underway, especially since Aberdeen had won had been in a fairly... Competent uh, winning streak in all competitions. Yeah, definitely. I think Motherwell just came out fighting. Like I, I don't think there was anything you could really say about the game, tactically or whatever. I think Motherwell really just came out, wanted that two not for nine minutes, killed the game by the twenty third, and Aberdeen just never really looked like getting back into it. Did they? Even their better players like Ross McRoy has been rightfully praised the last few weeks. Even he had a poor game, was at fault for the goal, uh, the third goal, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they just looked as soon as that second goal went in, they, looked, they just heads down. They didn't want to be there, and um, good good on Motherwell because they clearly are good enough to rise back up the table. I think they will. Um, got still got a great manager there uh, with them for now. So, yeah, great win for Motherwell and just just an off day for Aberdeen. I think mm-hmm. as long as they get their heads back straight for the next game, it, it won't be a long term problem. It's true, and the other big news coming out from Pitodri over the weekend is that Scott McKenna's future at the club seems uncertain with a substantial offer being submitted for the defender reportedly from Nottingham Forest in the Championship. Uh, what do you make of the potential move? How, how do you think Aberdeen are going to get on without him if he does go? Uh, McKenna's a weird one because I, I used to think he was he was quite good, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not too sure on him. I think from an Aberdeen point of view, apparently it's going to be the, the biggest transfer fee they've ever received. So I think it's, it's maybe going to be an offer they can't refuse situation, and I think they may be better off taking the money especially with Ross McCrory coming in as well, who can potentially play in defence to to fill in there. I think, I think for McKenna, I, I can't tell if it's going to be a step forward or a step backwards Nottingham Forest because they did look good at times last season, but then they just sort of crumbled away. They've sold a few of their players off now, like Matty, Matty Cash to Aston Villa. It'll be an interesting one, to be honest. I'm just, I mean, Liam Lindsay is probably the example I'd go for. I, I thought he was fantastic in Scotland, and then he got the move to... I can't remember where it was, but he's at Stoke now. Where where did he go before Stoke? Um, that's a really good question. I've got I've got Coventry in my head, but that's Michael Rose, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But I, I, it could be it could be something similar to to Liam Lindsay, where in Scotland, you know, he's one of the most promising youngsters, and then he's gone down south, and we haven't heard from him again. And I think that's probably the most likely outcome for Scott McKenna at the moment, to be honest. But hopefully, it does work out for him. I guess. I really hope the, it works out for the club as well, just before you jump in. There, it, was, so. it was Barnsley, sorry, was there. I was, I was just going to say that it was Barnsley. <laughs> uh, just, I, do, I do hope it does, it does work out, because we've looked at it in the past, and what Aberdeen's kind of uh, selling uh, kind of reputation has been, and it's been fairly poor, fairly poor on the whole, when we, uh, a few weeks back, with the Lyndon Dykes move, realised that Livingston managed to sell him for more than Aberdeen made from seven or eight big names combined so we, I really I really do hope they do get a fairly decent fee for him if he does go on and take his talents down to England uh, in our last game of our Premiership coverage today Sean's asked me if we can talk about Kilmarnock <laughs> again begrudgingly I've agreed because they won so we're going we're yeah. to go ahead uh, they got a big three points on the, on the board uh, after going a man down in the first half at home to Hamilton Sean, coming into this one, our Aki's had four players ruled out due to COVID testing, uh, with another three on, on the physios table, so they were unavailable. But then they also didn't muster a shot on target in the second half and left Kelly to run out our 2-1 victories and claim all three points. How did you find it? Well, even though you've, you've tried to undermine the win there with <laughs> mentioning all the, all the Aki's absentees, uh, it still was a, a very good win for, for Kelly, considering that they played 70 minutes with 10 men. Um, yeah, Kelly started a lot brighter, 
Uh, really good footwork from Chris Burke, who still amazes you considering his age. Um, and a really good finish from Greg Kelty to put Kelly mm-hmm. in the lead. And then, um, like they have done this season, Aki's score from a set piece. I think they've scored five goals this season, four of them set pieces, and one a, a Chris Virgilian own goal at Celtic Park. So um, it's definitely their specialty. And yeah, even if gets set off, it's one of those ones that if it ha- was a if it was given as a yellow, then I don't think people would have complained too much. But mm-hmm. I also um was perfectly fine with it being a red. It was just a bit daft from Eamon Brophy, and then um, completely unnecessary. Uh, but it's a situation that Kilmarnock have been in before. The, uh, the disciplinary record hasn't been uh, bad on, since sort of the Steve Clark era, but. Um, I remember there was a game against Dundee where Kelly were 2-1 down and down to 10 men and they managed to win that game 3-2. It's a really good fighting spirit and Alex Dyer seemed to get um, the players really up for the second half and they came out playing much better. Like you said, Aki's didn't even get a shot on target and you wouldn't have really known who was the team with 10 men in that second half and um, Nicky Kabamba gets the winner after some some dodgy forward play <laughs> earlier in the game. So, uh, yeah, a really good win for Kelly and a big one for Alex Dyer and his team's confidence because if you end up losing that one, then you're starting to, to really worry about um, if he was the right man for the job. Now, I, know, I just wanted to touch on our prospects of relegation just in this one because we, we, we've said for a, for a few weeks that it is actually a possibility for Kilmarnock just based on recent performances. And I know we were talking yesterday about how good it would be for energy sport to have a, for, have an airshot derby while we're all at uni, yeah. but I want and you bringing in Nicky Kavamba there that brings me on to it. Uh, I think seven goals in eleven home games, yeah. but none on the road in nine. Yeah, that's so, right. So how important is it going to be for Nicky Kavamba to finally start scoring away from uh, the Billy Bowie uh, energy sport? I don't know what <laughs> the Bernabeu. I can't keep up <laughs> the Bernabeu. <laughs> Uh, how important is it going to be from him to start scoring away if Alex Dyer really does want to make a case for staying in the league this season? Yeah, it's going to be um, more important considering Brophy will miss at least the next game at um, St Mirren Park next week. Um, I mean, that's still a, pr- a pretty good return. Uh, oh, it's good. A, no, fantastic, yeah. Um, so, I think Nicky Gabbard has been a, on the whole a, a good signing for, for Kelly. Um, but it would be good to see him bagging away goal, especially because now that's a thing people are, are talking about. You don't want that to get into his head and it become one of those things where um, it's sort of a, a mental block like we've seen with other players in certain situations. So hopefully he bags one soon. But um, players like Greg Kelty get on the score sheet, he was a fantastic prospect and then really struggled with injury. Still only 23, despite it being, being around the Kelly team for a long time. So hopefully this is the start of different players picking up goals and um that's two wins out of three for Kelly, a tough trip to Pataudry last week, so hopefully the start of a good run. You would like to think so. Uh, j- just want to throw my own boys in the mix just before we move on to the English game. Are you sure? No, I will, because it's funny. Because, I mean, we t- we mentioned goal of the month already. I think I know what I think I know what my vote would be. Uh, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a friendly match that he have played over the weekend, uh, lost 2-0, of course, uh, because it's just air. Who was it, it against? You know, Stalin Albion, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I know, it was good. Uh, the mighty Beanos. The, the, the Beanos the beat us 2-0 at home. And it was... Uh, one, one of our defenders decided to try and chip it back to Herr uh, Reid, I think, who came off the bench for a goalkeeping trialist. And it just managed to put it bottom corner, sent it up, up and over. And... Yeah, it, it, excellent finish to be honest and it just sets us up nicely for a wonderful and banter-filled season for the honest men in this in the year to come and you'll probably hear me get more and more fed up with it as the year goes on when the championship kicks off in a couple of weeks' time. So that brings an end to our Scottish coverage for the weekend. We're going to move down south and cover the Premier League and if we thought last week was good, then this week is something else entirely. At the time of recording, there's been 39 goals scored in the first eight games. Now, the most goals scored in a 28-team weekend stands at 43 from back in February 2011, which included that famous 4-all draw between Arsenal and Newcastle. With two games left to play, it seems fairly likely that this record could and will hopefully be broken come 10pm tonight. As for the games themselves... We're going to start with the most highly anticipated match of the weekend as Liverpool made it two wins from two in the league this season with a 2-0 win over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, Sadio Mane scoring both. 
Cameron, you must be buzzing with this one. Yeah, definitely. Huge. If there was any potential slip-ups at the start of the season, Chelsea would be one. But no, brilliant performance. Um, obviously, Graham sorry, they asked me to really tear into <laughs> Chelsea. But I, like I said, I'll leave that for you, Jack, when we get to it. Yep. But no, really good. Um, a moment of madness from Christensen, obviously. Mm-hmm. That really did like, just change the whole game for the second half. But Sadio Mane wonder, uh, masterclass, sorry. Um, Kepa, I'll let you take his... I'll let you deal with him. And I think Thiago, despite giving away a penalty, did have a good debut. I saw stats like mm-hmm. he made more passes in 45 minutes than any Chelsea player did yes. in the whole 90 minutes. So, yeah, really strong performance <laughs> from him um, as a substitute. Uh, yeah, just professional, wasn't it? Really mm-hmm. strong performance, 2-0, away from home. Great win. Hey, Sean, Cameron's kind of taking the words right out of my mouth there about Thiago. I mean, I, I saw I saw you liking a fair bit of the propaganda on Twitter, so <laughs> clear, I think you were impressed with his first uh, half of Premier League action. He replaced Jordan Henderson for the start of the second half and really seemed to settle in straight away. He completed more passes in that 45-minute spell than anyone in Chelsea did throughout the entire match. I think it was 75 completed, yeah, yeah. if I'm right with that. How, how much did he impress you just from that kind of half half a game performance? Yeah, I just I love him as a player, and I was just really excited to to see him in the Premier League. So maybe I did get a bit overexcited on <laughs> on Twitter, but um, yeah, I thought he was really good. I thought John Henderson actually was fantastic in that mm-hmm. first half. He's probably Liverpool's best player. Um, so when I saw it was him that was going off, I thought that might be a bit of a concern. But yeah, I mean it's. In a game where you're going to dominate the ball because the opposition are down to 10, there's probably nobody in, in the world you'd rather have right now than Thiago. It's just every pass is so crisp. Um, the precision on, precision on them, weighted perfectly. It's nothing spectacular, nothing that's going to make you jump out your seat, but just perfection every time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like we said, it gives, it gives Liverpool a few different options now. Does Fabinho stay in the defence? Uh, will Jordan Henderson play six or will he go back to being number eight? Uh, so it just brings an extra dimension to Liverpool with an absolutely fantastic footballer. You touched on there, and I actually completely forgot to write about it in my in my notes. But from my perspective, I thought Fabinho was the best player in the park. Uh, throughout yeah, the ninety minutes, so he just seemed to slot into Liverpool's backline effortlessly and did a very good job in uh, taking Timo Werner more or less completely out of the game in in a system where Lampard had played him on the left in an effort to exploit the space that Trent Alexander-Arnold tends to leave when mm-hmm. he goes marauding up the pitch. But Fabinho had that covered excellently and really took out that really sole attacking threat that Chelsea had. Uh, Struan, it was really a horrific day at the office for Chelsea. For, for me, up until that red card, I thought they were beginning to grow into the game a bit more and potentially could have made a game of it in the second half, genuinely having a chance. But, I mean, playing the second half, a man down, and when a player of Thiago's quality gets introduced, there was one way that that game was going to go, and it went there quickly. Uh, Lampard himself, he made a substitution correctly, bringing on another uh, centre-back in Fikayo Tomori, who I think looked fairly good in a, in a negative team, which is a strange thing to say, I suppose. But it was at the expense of Kai Havertz in an attacking outlet, when, realistically, in a situation like that, I feel like he should have taken off someone like Jorginho or Kovacic, and left the more attacking-minded Havertz on and really push on to try and make a game of it despite having 10 men. But he just kind of sat back and let Liverpool run riot over, over them, which for me was the wrong decision. Uh, they were, and they started the second half with a man down and were effectively playing it with nine men in the park because Chelsea's goalkeeper made his second error leading to goal in as many games this season, attempted to pass out from the back and giving them all straight to Sadio Mane for his second of the game. Fabrizio, Mani, Fabrizio Romano sorry, uh, tried to give the Chelsea fans hope, confirming that Edward Mendy's transfer will be announced this week, just minutes after that blunder from the man in between the Chelsea goal. How much is it needed, Struan? Oh, it's needed badly, I think. <laughs> I don't think Kepa has been a very good goalkeeper, to be fair. I think the money spent on him, you just think how much better that money could have been spent improving on the defence as well. Just... I think it's the best move for everybody. I'm, I'm still a bit surprised though, in a sense that Kepa is still being picked. I know, I know, Willie Caballero is about thirty nine by now, but for, just from the the Kepa point of view, I think he just needs dropped for his confidence. I, I don't understand why he is continuously being played. I mean, everything that happens on social media, I'm sure he sees that himself, and I, I don't know where his confidence is right now. But it, it is at least through the floor. I, I don't think. 
even even just completing passes out from the back. And and I think the big problem is when you when you see goalkeepers going through this, as we did with you know, David Hayer quite a lot last season, and we've even seen it with like top class goalkeepers like Manuel Neuer at their age and experience. You kind of have that faith that you know they've done it before; they'll get back. You know they've shown how good they are. But at Kepa, at such a young age, we've never really seen a world class goalkeeper there from him. And I think he's no. he's twenty six now, coming up as well. And for the price tag that was paid, I mean, I, I just compared to Allison, who was about four or five million cheaper than Kepa, and has been phenomenal for Liverpool. Really, I just think. I think it's time for Kepa to move on. I really do. I think it'll be a quite a struggle to sell him, though, just mm-hmm. based on the price tag. I could maybe see a loan happening, but I think he needs to just get out of Dodge, get out of Chelsea as soon as possible because I, I, I can't see any way back for him in that Chelsea team. Really, I, I just can't. Do you want to hear some stats from last season, just so just so I can highlight how poor he really has been? As long oh, as go it's, on then. As long as they're angry stats. <laughs> I want to start Sean, I can't lie, he's building up. <laughs> On you go then. Domestic save percentage last season 54.5%. That oh. out of 98 registered goalkeepers, that is the worst across Europe's top five leagues. So he was the worst goalkeeper in Europe <laughs> last season. <laughs> European save percentage 50%. For every two shots on target, he saved one. That's the worst in the Champions League last season. And for his domestic expected goals against, so the amount of goals that he expects to concede, uh, that is expected he concedes, he conceded 9.2 more. So he's conceded 10 more goals than he was expected to. Jesus. That's the worst in the Premier League and the fourth worst out of Europe's top five leagues. Do you understand how bad this is? <laughs> For a team that had gone from Petr Cech and then to Thibaut Courtois, who obviously wasn't as good as Cech, but he's better than this, to this man. Give it, given the season Courtois just had at Real Madrid as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is Kepa the worst transfer in yes. Premier League history? For the yes. Yeah, okay. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's no, try and tell someone, like Danny Drinkwater, that was us as well. A <laughs> hundred million on this man and Danny Drinkwater. Oh, I, I need to. I need to try and move on because I'm genuinely at the point. Well, where I, well, I say, I, well, I say something, so you don't have to speak, Jack. Well, I, say, well, I make a point. No, please do, say, please do. Please yeah. do. I, I, I want to try and get off this goalkeeper, oh, goalkeeper well, movement at the moment. It's still about I'm, Kepa, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say. Struan's point there, like, how's he not been dropped yet? Surely he's dropped now. Yeah. Like surely, like that. You'd be as well sticking Thiago Silva in it. Yeah, you have have anyone but him. Like, who's Chelsea's smallest player? Can't he shove him? (laughs) Because he's better than him. He can at least make a pass. Like, I don't get the man. This is not even just Kepa. This is goalies in general. I'm not saying goalies have the hardest job in football, right? But he has. He takes a touch. He has time. There's only two places he can't kick the ball, and he kicks it in one of those two places. He kicks it right at Manny. Why not just punt it to left wing? Two yards. Two yards. If in doubt. We're told from a young age. If in doubt. Kick it out. (laughs) Man is the most expensive goalkeeper in world football. (laughs) He doesn't know the Sunday league rules. If you're under pressure, even just like the worst thing you could do there is like kick out for a corner or something. Like turn around and kick it at a fan. Well, there's no fans, but you know what I mean. Just, just kick take it the stands. pass back. Just yeah, kick it up. Exactly. <laughs> just don't kick it to the one of the best strikers in the league or one of the best forwards in the league, and just hand them a goal after they've just scored another and you're down to ten men. Which, by the way, Christensen's getting off of it because he really that was a ridiculous red card as well. But yeah, I've said my piece. Um, Canting goals next week. Yes, please. Canting goals this week. I have yeah. to say, I loved Sadio Mane when he lost the ball and he's frustrated and they just so sprint oh, yeah. after. I just love that commitment. I, I just think yeah. it's so good. It just, yeah. Jack, how do you feel about the signing of Edward Mendy? Because it's not as if you've had the, you've spent a lot of money on a on a dodgy goalkeeper who was unproven and he's not worked and you're now going, right, we're just going to go and get someone who we definitely know as a proven commodity. It's not like you're going to send Yara Oblak. It's, no. Um, it, it's a player who has, has had a good season or two in Ligue 1 but then obviously people always have questions about the quality and jumping up to the Premier League so what have you heard about him and uh, is it a signing that you're happy with or is it just a case of 
anyone but Kepa at the moment. Sean, let me put it this way. I want to reiterate the point. He was the worst <laughs> in Europe last season. Yeah, okay. I, I, pulled, I pulled up a couple of stats. Save percentage. Mendy's save percentage last year was 78%, which is 20% more than what Kepa's was, at least. Yeah. And it's the... Uh, it, that's mo- it's more than three quarters of the efforts that he faced he saved. So for every, every four shots, he's conceding one. It's every... So you're say effectively saving two goals by having Mendy by having Mendy instead of Kepa. Yeah. For the for the expected goals conceded, Kepa was minus uh, nine point two, so he conceded ten more than he was expected to. Yeah. Mendy was plus one point seven, so he's yeah. basically saving two more goals than we expected to. So he's performing above his expectation last season, and I do agree. I do agree that he's not a world beater. He's not. He's not going to be one of the best keepers in the in the world. Uh, he's 28 years old he's never really had a big break at a big club but all we need him to do is not be the worst in Europe and he's an improvement <laughs> don't be bad and you'll be good like, just just don't be stupid like, just... <laughs> what, what I think is quite um, interesting as well is the fact Alphonse Areola who is at PSG was on loan at Real Madrid has gone to Fulham in the same window that Chelsea are desperate for a goalkeeper I think that I think I think that's uh, that, that's me trying to say. I think Mendy is, could be quite a good sign if he's been the one scouted, and especially as well with players like Nick Pope, who I think probably would have been available for the right pl- price had they come into Burnley, given how good a season he had last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, definitely. But I think there some there, so how I think. much more money Chelsea would have had to spend on Nick Pope compared mm. to Edward Mendy. Nick yeah. Pope yeah, would have been about fifty chance. million. I mean, realistically, English sacks in, in the same league. So, and considering that, I, I made the point that Burnley rely on Nick Pope a lot. To, to get them through games and to be able to secure the wins compared to spending twenty million on uh Mendy who's the same age as Nick Pope and all he has to do is not be the worst in Europe and he's an improvement so I know I know he was at Arsenal but I think Emmy Martinez could have been an interesting shout because I think it was about twenty million he went to Aston Villa for and I think he was fantastic towards yeah. the end this is for Arsenal so suppose I, I suppose Arsenal probably wouldn't have sold to Chelsea being a direct rival but then again that's not really stopped anything from that in the past. No it's not you're right. Uh, just, I, th- I think I really just want to move on from Chelsea at this point because, or more their goalkeeper than anything else. Uh, I, I, th- I think uh, the one point I will make about Chelsea uh, in this game, they looked fine up until Christensen's red card. But again, I want to, re- I, I do want to reiterate for Chelsea's sake, this is still a team that's not fully complete. Uh, four guaranteed starters still out uh, injured. Hopefully, we see at least a couple of them next week in potentially Thiago Silva and Christian Pulisic. Uh, I, I know for a fact that Kepa's uh, dropped for midweek in the in the League Cup against Barnsley because Lampard said that in the in the post match press conference. He says that that was his decision already, but I don't think it was. Uh, and I, I don't know if we'll see Kepa again this season. To be honest, if Mendy gets announced this week, uh, I, I believe he'll be in for the West Brom game at the weekend, and we, we may this may have been. The, the, the last unfortunate game for this man in a Chelsea shirt and I'll be the first one on the, on the front line celebrating so uh, well, we need to move on from Chelsea before I just get even more agitated uh, we'll move on in the first of the of two five two score lines this weekend Everton continued to look revamped and refreshed with Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring a hat-trick and James Rodriguez getting off the mark in the Premier League scoring his first of the season Cameron, you and Struan were quite begrudging in your acceptance of uh, DCL as a decent player on Friday's episode of the Fancy Ramble. Is he very much the real deal after that showing, or is it just another purple patch of form? Yeah, no, I think I think he, I'm not going to say he's going to get hatched every week, but he's certainly a good forward, and he he works really well for Charleston. I think the second goal, uh, Charleston got the assist for it. Um, yeah, really, really good player. Um, one that they almost sold last season because they expected Schenk Tosin to do well. So. Yeah, says a lot about Everton's recruitment <laughs> last year. Um, yeah, no, a, a great player. Uh, looked really, really good. I uh, was lucky with the first one that it didn't go off an Everton player, but you know you take the really quick, clever thinking with the back heel. And um, yeah, definitely by far the best player in the pitch in what was a really crazy game. So yeah, top player. Hopefully, I can see him getting maybe 15 goals at least this season. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if what he did he get 20, last year? 13? 13? 14 or 17, yeah. yeah. I think I mean, Charleston, that's where I finished on the same. Yeah, that's, that's literally just what it says. That Richarlison will take a big chunk of the goals as well. If he was on his own up front, then he'd maybe get more. But if him and Richarlison can both get 15 goals, 18 goals each, that's 
that's a team that's Huge. pushing for yeah. a European spot. Absolutely. So I mean, that's a brilliant front line. So yeah, really exciting Everton team this season has to be said. Absolutely. I think what I really liked about Cavaloon's goals were they were the bad goals. They weren't like yeah. anything flashy. They didn't beat twenty men and bend it in the top corner. It was just a classic number nine, right place, right time. There to you know back heel it in. You know he was there to, to the cross across from Richardson. It's just it's just a proper number nine, and one of the points I thought was so interesting was that Ancelotti had said when he was at Everton he was considering Calvert Lewin, you know, two two three years ago from Everton. So I think I think the manager's faith has helped him massively because when I made a, a a claim that saying he was quite bad that was not under Ancelotti at the time fully, so that's why my claim didn't make sense. You know, now now he's good. Now he's good. And, and, and James Rodriguez is just fantastic. Different different class, him honestly. Uh, I wanted to touch quickly on to Newcastle versus Brighton as the South Coast outfit ran out 3-0 winners against Newcastle with many having predicted it as a much more closely run affair. Stuart, I'm, I'm kind of caught in two minds about this, this result to be honest because we've been talking Newcastle's new boys up for the last couple of weeks but at the same time we gave Brighton a lot of credit on Friday's episode of the Fancy Ramble with the episode being cited as having quote, good lanty chat by some <laughs> by some loyal listeners. Uh, <laughs> Lamptey again proved to be an excellent player uh, being taken out early in the game in the box for Neil Mopai's penalty Struan, could we see a much better season for Brighton than we've predicted? Yeah, I, I think Brighton look phenomenal I was saying on the Ramble, I think their defence is one of the best outside you know, the, the top teams in the league I, th- I think Lamptey is phenomenal I, I really, really do think he's a fantastic player and I just think all around the pitch they've got goal scorers, the midfield is strong I think Basuma or Sean Michaels is talented as well I, th- I think he's excellent and I, I think I think Graham Potter has really changed what Brighton was because two seasons ago you know under Hewton in the Premier League it was Duncan Duffy at the back Glenn Murray up front score from set pieces defend pretty pretty boring football Potter immediately comes in three at the back drops Murray he's now eventually dropped Duffy as well but I think that's to do with the fact that he's had Ben White coming back in who's excellent and I, and I just love that he's changed the team He's brought in some really exciting players like Neil Mopai, like Tariq Lamptey, and it, it, ju- it just looks a completely different outfit. And I just think they're a very entertaining team to watch. I think I think Brighton really will be one of these teams like this coming season where you will you will just sit down and watch it. You'll see the game and you'll think, oh, it's it's Brighton Southampton. But I think you'll be, like, mm, well, it's Brighton. They, they they've got something about them this season, and I just think they'll just be a really fun team to watch. As I said, no, and they've got an in- they've got an interesting run coming up. Uh... Next next weekend it's uh, home to Manchester United and I'm sure we'll get on to it a bit what Stu's going to think of that game. Uh, then they're away to Everton, away to Palace, uh, home to West Brom and away to Spurs to round out October. That's a, it's a fairly interesting run and it's not one that I could see them... I, I could see them fairly kind of breaking even in that one. Maybe you know, two wins, two losses and a draw potentially. So I, th- I think it could be a fairly decent run. They'll pick up a fair few points from it. So... I'm interested to see them, but Newcastle, they just looked, they just didn't really look to be at the races the same way they were against West Ham last week. Uh, Alan St. Maximan looks to have been injured early in the first half, which could be a blow for many not not uh, exclusively fancy Premier League managers. Uh, Jamal Lewis might have been injured by that um, uh, WWE move that he suffered in the 88th. So, trouble, maybe more trouble brewing at Newcastle than we thought initially, but Hopefully they get their problems sorted out sooner rather than later. Uh, the second 5-2 of the weekend came as Spurs ripped through a flat and overexposed Southampton side. Harry Kane and Kingman seemed completely buoyed by the bail and Regulon uh, announcements with Kane supplying Son four times before scoring the fifth goal himself. Sean, when we've got two players of this quality performing at this level, with a very good player in bail adding to that attack for the rest of the season, could we see Spurs properly challenge for top four when many were consigning them to potentially a sixth place finish? Um, they could. I think they could push for top four. It's just a matter of whether um, these exciting attacking players are still compatible with uh, Jose Mourinho because, as I uh, said on last week's show, I've not enjoyed watching Spurs. I actually no. didn't watch this game because I was watching uh, Hibs Rangers. So yes. That's one of the highlights of, of this I, I caught. But I think with the, those players coming in... Um, I think you need to see a change attacked from from Mourinho. Uh, Regulon's a really attacking left back. Uh, Matt Doherty's obviously very forward thinking as well. Um, 
Tangy and Dombley, I think, showed that he's the key to making this uh, Spurs midfield interesting because mm-hmm. we said last week uh, the likes of Harry Winks and uh, Dyer and Hoybier just aren't really um, particularly exciting. So I think if you get one of those, the one you trust the most to anchor that midfield, and then if you play in Dombley, and I think Giovanni the Celso was fantastic as a box-to-box midfielder in the second half of last season. So if you can get those three, and then obviously that front three that you mentioned, it could be a real... It could really turn the corner for for a, a a spell of the Spurs team that's just been really drab and really uninspiring. So it'd be good to see them uh, change their style, be a bit more attacking, and yeah, hopefully push the top four because as we've seen, it might not be as plain sailing for the likes of Chelsea mm-hmm. United as as we thought. You've 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 uh, wrapped it up nicely to let me move on to our final uh, bit of Premier uh, Premier League talk uh, on today's show. Obviously, I'm going to come to Struan for it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if he'll kind of take my approach of more anger, <laughs> or whether it's just going to be sheer disappointment in his club once again. Uh, Manchester United, in their first game of the new season, fell to uh, Roy Hodgson's uh, Crystal Palace sword, three-one that they lost at uh, Old Trafford. Palace doing it yet again. Uh, goals from Townsend and two from former Manchester United man Wilfred Zaha. Struan, talk me, talk me through this game. I know there were a number of moments where, um, especially the penalty, that just didn't sit right with a lot of people. I mean, De Gea jumping, what, a, cent, a couple of inches off his line and then forced to retake Zaha scored the one that he, the, after the uh, penalty saved. So how, how, did, how did you see it? I mean, was it, was it a case of my, my approach or your own disappointed approach? Well, I'm, I'm going to go in a little bit on Ollie for this good, one here. Good. More than... because. Although the board and everything, we sh- that's who the, the, the anger should be directed at for what is a terrible transfer window. It can't be wrapped up in any other way. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible transfer window. But regardless, that side should beat Crystal Palace. If you had to do a combined 11 between the two teams, I think the only... not With form out the window, if you had to pick the best 11 between Palace and Manchester United, I think the only Palace player you'd probably put in would be Zaha. Maybe a case for Gaeta, maybe somewhere else. But I think the decisions were all wrong. Marcus Rashford pulled out from England international duty with an ankle injury. He's not been the same anywhere since the start of the year with that injury. And Solskjaer will not drop him. Paul Pogba has not played a game of football friendly or competitive since the Europa League semi-final. Had to withdraw from France duty because he had the coronavirus, has been in training for one week and started. Donny van de Beek played both internationals with Holland, a full pre-season with Ajax and even featured in Man United's pre-season with Aston Villa. Pogba gets picked. Scott McTominay can't pass a ball. I love Scott McTominay, but in a game of football where Man United are going to have all of the possession, you want Fred, you want Matic, you want somebody who can actually string a few passes together. And Victor Lindelof didn't play for Sweden in their second game. As the Swedish manager said, he was, he, he was suffering from fatigue. Solskjaer then came out in a press conference throughout the week and said that Eric Bay is looking strong, he's looking fit. Victor Lindelof then gets picked. Aaron Wambasaka is not fit. But he's on the bench, so he he's, he can clearly feature for some period of the game. The first goal that is conceded is quite honestly a mirror of the first one against Sevilla. The right back is pushed up the pitch because for some reason that's part of the tactics. The right centre back, which is Lindelof, then has to get pushed out. I've praised Lindelof and I do think he is quite good. However, in a one-on-one situation, Chocolate Fireguard is just beaten. Harry Maguire is totally taken out of the equation. There's nothing he can do. And for some reason, Luke Shaw doesn't notice that he actually has to mark a player who's overlapping from the right-hand side in Townsend. He then realises when it's too late, Luke Shaw has pace. He can get to that ball first. Doesn't realise Townsend's there. Tapping at the back post. The penalty decision, I think, is quite ludicrous, the handball. However, I think it's fair because Lindelof gets nutmegged and just has to recover which is ridiculous. The penalty, De Gea's off his line, that's the rules, it's got to be retaken. I think the only thing I would complain about is that they swapped penalty takers, that Zaha then got to take the second. I think that's a bit, you should have to stick with the guy who took it originally or whatever. But And then the third goal, Zaha just just basically finished Lindelof's Man United career at that point, <laughs> just for that game. It was it was abysmal. And to be honest, I think the scoreline flattered United. I think getting a goal, it was scrappy. I think Crystal Palace with a better team. This this wasn't a game where Palace won from a lucky counter attack or an own goal that Man United silly conceded. It was it was a deserved win, and I just think there were so many problems with that team. What summed up for me is there's a brief thirty second clip of Paul Pogba where he's got the ball and he's obviously not match sharp. He's not ready. And he gives the ball away, and it's Bruno Fernandez who's playing as the number ten, advanced from McTominay Pogba, 
who runs back, wins the ball, it goes back to Pogba again, and within about three seconds, he's given the ball away. And I, I just, I it was just a mess from from top to bottom. And I'd, I'd be scared of Brighton. I really would. Brighton and Spurs coming up next in the league. I'd, I'd really be frightened of what's going to happen because, as, as I mentioned, the four players who started that game and Lindelof, McTominay, Pogba, and Rashford. I don't think any of them should play against Brighton, but I'd be surprised if Solskjaer even drops two of them because one of the things that's been clear is his reluctance. And he, even De Gea made a few mistakes. He made, he made a quite decent save against Ayew, but in the opening half, he just passed the ball away into the midfield, completely missed the man. You know, United have brought Dean Henderson back for a reason. Don't sit him on the bench if you're going to be playing him £120,000 a week. And I, th- I think as well, you know, Man United would talk about I was watching with my dad at the time and he said, you know, United have been linked with you know, Jadon Sancho and Harry Kane and all these players up front. Even if they were playing for United, the best would probably have been 3-all because the defence was just shambolic, really. I think Harry Maguire is the only player in that defence who should be starring regularly for Manchester United. And that's the end of my rant. <laughs> Somebody else? <laughs> Credit to Palace, though. I think Palace were fantastically set up. If, if 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 you had swapped the two managers around, I think Hodgson probably would have gotten a win for Manchester United. I think I think credit where credit is due. Wow! Can I just, can I just say that um, <laughs> I think that um, in pubs, when it's a VAR decision like that, they really need to turn the volume up just for that bit because I had no idea what was going on on Saturday. I just that, I yeah, like, that's a good point. The retaking all that, I was like, did they get? I looked up and they're like, did they get another penalty? No, wait, it's the and it's just. I know that I understand having to have the volume down, but I think just so I'm not so confused, mm-hmm. I think they really should uh, chuck the volume on for that one. Oh, they've not they've not got a ban on commentary uh, in, in pubs anymore. It's just music. Just, just get 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 Alan get Alan McCoyst just do, doing a backing track for pubs. There we go. If I could go to the pub with Alan McCoyst, I'd be there every day. Certainly you're not already, Sean. For God's sake. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, is it just sorry? Is it just me that thinks the penalty retake's really harsh? Like really, I don't. I hate that rule. I get it's the it's rule. Harsh, I hate but it. it's harsh. How can a goalie reach the corner of the goal? Like. It's just, I really do dislike it. I think you should bring in, like, another... You should, like, paint a little box on the line and the goalie's feet have to be in that box. Give it, like, like a few inches. But you can't make them stand just on the line. Well, it's I think possible for them to make the, the ball. Like, What I think is quite ridiculous about it is it was supposed to be a rule last season as well, but it was so inconsistent. And, and the one I just think about was Man United had two penalties against Norwich and Krul was off his line for both of them. Mm-hmm. And then Arsenal had the same situation with Tim Krul. And they, they made the retake in Obama. It was the famous one when he did the front flip and shoosh Norwich. And you know, people were like, oh, no. But it's it's just the inconsistency. So I, I think what they're going to do this season is just, it's the same with like the handball rule. Like No matter how ridiculous it is at the moment, it's just going to be, even if he's you know a blade of grass off the line, you've got to retake it. But as, as Cameron said, it's, it's nearly impossible mm-hmm. to reach every corner of the line without having that. And it's not like the goalkeeper is running to the to the ball. It's exactly, not like he's yeah. he's slide tackling it before the guy can take it. It's it's <laughs> millimeters off his line. Yeah, it's it's a terrible penalty from Ayu. It's it's nothing to do with oh the only reason De Gea saved that is because he was a millimeter off his line. It's it's a terrible penalty. It's a half decent save, and then Zaha's has penalties a very good one. It's. That that's probably the thing I would complain about more is the fact that they were t- able to swap. I can tell you're getting angrier. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you're getting angrier talking about it. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'll end it on my prediction of I don't think Ollie will be in the job come Christmas unless things change. A part of me thinks that's why I don't think the the club want to sign the players like Jaden Sancho for 108 million or 120 million euros is getting quoted if they're not confident that Solskjaer is going to stay in the job. Just yeah. Well. On on that note, <laughs> or, or, I didn't even I didn't even have United planned in my notes when it, when I came into this when I started this call, but I thought I'd let's try and talk about it, and we're almost at that hour that we planned. <laughs> so we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, rapid fire through a last ditch ta- challenge, which is the, sh- the segment that allows us to catch all the biggest stories from around Europe before they pass us by. A big weekend on the continent in itself, with both the Serie A and the Bundesliga returning to action. Sean, after last week's conversation about high score lines in women's football, uh, Bayern Munich come out and blow Schalke away <laughs> in their first game of the season, winning by eight goals to nil, with new boy Leroy Sané scoring on his Bundesliga debut. Could we see yet another unit dominance from the champions? Could we potentially see another treble on the cards? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's a fant- they're a fantastic team. Obviously, the loss of Thiago, but then um, when you can play the likes of Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich and a- and a double pivot, I think you don't have too much to worry about. It's just maybe more of a lack of depth because I think then it would be 
Taliso who would come as, as the next midfield option and he's obviously not the standard of um, the outgoing Thiago mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah that attack's only got better with the addition of Leroy Sani and um, from a Schalke point of view I mean they were rubbish in the restart that we saw a lot of they were um, yeah. and uh, yeah there might be some pressure for, for David Wagner who was doing a good job I think they're sat in sick start the Bundesliga restart and then just completely fell away mm-hmm. And yeah, that defence seems really bad. And I think I'd I'd rather some of the the WSL defences than than that Schalke one. <laughs> I, I I'd echo that to be honest. Uh, I think I think they could probably put in a, a fair fair, fairer performance. We'll say. I think so. I think so. Uh, moving on, Cameron. We saw Andrea Pirlo win his first uh, match as a senior coach on Sunday with his Juventus side running out three 0 winners over Sampdoria. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo started his 18th season in professional football with yet another goal. Although some of us would still claim he's well outside the mark of being one of the best <laughs> in the world. Seeing as Pirlo only received his relevant coaching badges last week, how important could Ronaldo be to the new manager if he is to guide Juve to their 10th successive Scudetto title? Yeah, huge, definitely. It's, it's almost like it's becoming the last dance for Ronaldo. He can't, I know he's a physical specimen, but he can't go on much longer. So he's really going to want to drag that club to success, not only in the league, but in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. And um Pirlo is a young manager. I know he's got a good coaching staff behind him, but yeah, he'll he'll definitely have to focus more on the tactics and let the real leaders of that dressing room really lead the dressing yeah. room and take on more responsibility than ever. And um, that's not a bad thing to be honest. When you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, Kylian still there, Buffon's still there, isn't he? So yep. why not let them take more responsibility? And um, yeah, I think Juve can see them winning the league again, but I'm not sure about the Champions League. I have to admit. I caught this game and I thought that it was really brave selection from Pirlo. He handed out quite yeah, a, a two or three debuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dejan Kulisevsky was fantastic and he's, uh, his, he's got the opener with a really nice curling finish. And he also chucked Weston McKenney in, which was a surprise yeah. considering a lot of people think that they thought a lot of people thought that Artur would uh, now be the sort of first midfielder on the team sheet, but it was a, a midfield two of Rabio and. Um, McKenney and Weston McKenney was really good and also midfield um, three was it not Ramsey played as well well Ramsey was kind of like further forward so it was just like right, linking yeah, up okay. so uh, they were the sort of the pivot and then Ramsey was sort of just floating about and he had a fantastic game and I've not heard much about Aaron Ramsey at Juventus I don't think he's been setting the world alight so I read a bit after and apparently that was um, what by far one of Ramsey's best performances mm. in a UV strip so him sort of working off Ronaldo and Kulisevsky I think could be a really good uh, way forward for Pirlo Can I just ask you like how how aggressive were they like pressing wise? Because one of the reasons I'm not first Italian football is because I think it is really just. I think it's one of the dullest leagues. I know that's maybe quite naive to say, but like when Pirlo came in, it seemed like he was going to be like a really pressing, really attacking-minded manager. Is that what it was like? It felt like Ramsey sitting as a forward kind of. I wouldn't say it was. It stood out um, the aggressive aggressiveness of their pressing, but um, I definitely thought that. Um, the players were getting used to it. So I think there was a bit more misplaced passes. I think that was because they're used to playing it safe under Sarri, like we saw when he, as Chelsea the Premier League, a lot of sideways. Whereas Pirlo was definitely encouraging them to be um, a bit more brave in their passing. So I think while that sort of settles in, um, it might be something that Pirlo looks to add. But for just now, Sampdoria went up to too much. It was pretty. Um, UV were definitely in control of the game, and they're now back to back three as well, which is obviously a sort of trademark of Juventus side. So. Interesting to see how they progress. It's interesting as well to me that Arthur didn't even come on as a midfield replacement no. because they brought on uh, Bentancur instead, yeah. which I, I didn't really make much sense of. If, the, uh, if you're spending that much money on uh, Arthur from Barcelona, you probably as well playing him at some point. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in in that fairly competitive midfield setup. Uh, Struan, just to round things out for our look of Europe. Uh, La Liga has made its own quiet return over the last couple of weeks with reigning champions Real Madrid making their first appearance in the new season over the weekend being held to a 0-0 draw by Real Sociedad. Uh, Los Blancos are odds-on favourites to retain the title with classical rivals Barcelona falling further and further into their own dire situation. Ivan Rakitic and Arturo Vidal have already left the club for minimal fees while Luis Suarez has reportedly agreed personal terms with Atletico Madrid. However, it uh, Ronald Koeman doesn't currently have the funds to bring in their top targets with the financial situation at the club very troubling. With it supposedly being Lionel Messi's last season at the camp now, could we see a very underwhelming Barcelona this season? 
I, I think all all sort of signs are pointing in that direction at the moment. I think Barcelona's transfer business has just not looked anything great. A few, uh, I don't, I suppose you could consider Rakitic and Suarez to be you know club legends now. I think Vidal just made a few comments about Bayern Munich and didn't really work well for him. I think uh, for me, I don't know if Coman's the man. I mean. It's interesting to me that Juventus and Barcelona, both jobs were available with a manager like Maurizio Pochettino, never ended up. And I know he has that past with Espanyol, but I think, I just don't know if Coleman's the man. There's been talk as well, he said about Ricky Puig, who he said should leave the club, who last season was one of the bright sparks for that team. So I'm really not sure. Even even the signing of Miralem Pjanic, you know, he's 30 yeah. now, it's not that inspiring. The players that they've been linked to, Memphis Depay is an exciting player, but I'm just not sure he's... He's Barca quality, and and I do I do think Wijnaldum is a good player who's quite heavily linked as well. But I mean, Wijnaldum's thirty this year. It's yeah. just there's just not really a long term plan when you think, you know, Gerard Piquet, Jordi Alba are once again going to be in that defence. Griezmann, who himself's thirty now, going to be up front with Messi, who turns thirty four in um, January. Busquets is still there. I, th- I think De Jong is probably the only bright spark at the moment in that in that whole Barcelona team. I just I just yeah. think they need a complete and utter rebuild. But it's just. It's just poor, poor recruitment over the last few years is really coming back to bite them now. And I, I think, as you said, it, could, it would be a real shame if this is the last dance for Messi. And it's a terrible season for Barcelona, which it, it does look that way it could be at the moment. I feel like that last dance analogy is going to get used every, every oh, yes. year as <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo both near retirement and moving on from current clubs. Well, that's all from us this week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup. Be sure to subscribe to Energy Sports Podcast feed wherever you get yours and follow us over on Twitter to keep up to date with all of our sports content. Thank you very much to Strew and Sean and Cameron for joining me today. Be sure to check out Extra Time and the Fancy Ramble later in the week. But until then, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.